Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I also want to dismiss the children and most of daybreak. If Oh, all of it, I think, right? You're all going. Okay. Well, we'll wait till they're gone to talk about them. While they're uh, making their way up, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. And you will, uh, thank you, and you will be getting, I think you're going to get something on your way out. So, uh, not chicken, sorry. Uh, well, actually, yes, animated chicken, so there'll be chicken. Um, before I get into the sermon, I have mentioned this in the past. There's an app that we've recommended a couple times called the Bible App for Kids. You have a kid and you want to teach them the Bible. It's something you can get on Android or iPhone or even the those Windows phones. If you have one of those, you got some you know bigger problems in life. But they have a, this app called the Bible, uh, the Bible app for kids. They just added the story of Nehemiah. I think just this week. So if you want to teach your kids the story of Nehemiah, it's on there. Actually, I think I have a picture, Nate. If you want to throw it up there, uh, just one of the a, a picture from the the story that they use. I, we did it with Aiden twice this week, and I guess he has a, an elementary understanding of the book of Nehemiah. It'll be up there in a second. Go to the next slide, Nate. Oh, it must not have synced. Well, anyway, it's a picture of Nehemiah bossing people around, basically. So pick up that app if you want, and uh, you'll be able to... Take the kids through Nehemiah in like 10 minutes. It's pretty good. Aiden seems to like it. I like it. I catch stuff from these kids' apps all the time that I don't necessarily catch when I'm reading scholarly materials. So, All right, well, I think most of you will know this, that at Truvine, uh, we have this commitment to educating folks on what the Bible says about finances. So once every three months, we, we teach on biblical finances, and we ask people to be educated about what the Bible says about that. So today is one of those Sundays. We call it the Biblical Finance Sunday. But we're also going to be right in Nehemiah 5, right where Shay left off when he finished last week. So it actually fit perfectly. We didn't have to stretch to make this fit. Uh, we're going to stick right in the middle of our series from Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible or you use the Bible on your phone or tablet, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah 5. And we're going to be in the second half of Nehemiah 5. I actually have the whole chapter up on the screen. Nate, can you uh, advance me? Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to read that um, briefly, really quickly, actually. A lot of this is what Shay covered last week. But just for the sake of review, I want to read it. So Nehemiah 5 starts out this way. There was a great outcry of the people of their wives and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who, were, who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. So there's, in verse 2, there's one group that is in need. Then in verse 3, there were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. So then there's a, verse 3 is a group that's in debt. Verse 4, also there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because of our fields and vineyards belong to others. So that's a group that's in bondage or slavery. So you've got a, 
group that's in need, a group that's in debt, and a group that's in slavery. Uh, go to the next slide. So Nehemiah says, I was very angry. This is, they're treating their brothers and sisters like this. This is Jewish people treating other Jewish people like this. Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words, and I consulted with myself, and I contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury or interest, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. So Nehemiah kind of gets in the face of the leaders and he says, not only are you you're loaning money to your brothers, that's fine, but you're collecting interest on it. You're bankrupting them. They're having to sell their kids into slavery to pay you back. These are your, your kinfolk and you're doing this to them. Nehemiah said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? He's saying, all of our brothers, our, our family, they were sold to other people groups. We got them back, and now you're selling them right back into slavery in our midst. To our own people. Enslaving our own relatives. Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again, I said, the thing which you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury or interest. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses. Also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you're exacting from them. Then the, the leaders, the nobles said, we will give it back and we'll require nothing from them. We'll do exactly as you say. So I, Nehemiah, called the priests and took an oath from them and that, that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and he said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise, even thus may, be, may he be shaken and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and they praised the Lord, then the people did according to the promise. So that's good news. That's kind of what Shea did last week. So essentially there's a situation, they're not treating each other very well, they're running each other into debt. Those who have need are running those who, sorry, those who have are running into debt, those who have need, even among their relatives and family. Moreover, this is where I'm going to preach from today. From the day that I was appointed, from the day Nehemiah was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, that's 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land, and all of my servants were gathered there for the work. And I believe that's, oh, there's just one more slide. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six sheep. Also, birds were prepared for me, and one in ten days, all sorts of wine was furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance, because the servitude was heavy on this people. 
Remember me, O oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. All right, we got that. Now, let me put this in a little bit of modern day context. We got some New Jersey folks in the house today. Raise your hand if you're from New Jersey. Kevin and Rachel's not in the room, but Sammy, you know you're. You, Art, no, you're. Oh, you stinker. All right. We got a couple people that come from Jersey. We live close enough to Jersey. All right, so speaking of the governor's food allowance, I'm not making any jokes about anyone's weight. I should be the last one to do that. But you guys know that the governor of New Jersey is under investigation because of how much money he spent, taxpayer money he spent on foods at NFL football games. You know that he spent on average over $5,000 on food per game at stadiums. Five G's. That's why you're paying so high property taxes. That's why you gotta pay a toll to get into Philly but not to get out. So the governor of New Jersey has not read Nehemiah. Well, he probably has, I don't know. I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, I'm just saying this is a very similar situation. He's he's burdening the people uh, for his own benefit. Couple, couple more stories. I want to tell a couple stories to put this in context. You know, recently a pastor asked his church to donate $65 million so that he could buy a new jet. $65 million so that he could buy a new jet. That's a lot of money. Um, now, there's another, there's a pastor in California named Francis Chan You'll know him if you come to the Tuesday night Bible study groups, and he's read he's written a couple books. His church is about five thousand, or I should say, the church he used to pastor because he's not the pastor there anymore. It was about five thousand people. At one point, he made a decision that he was going to limit his income to thirty five thousand dollars a year. He wasn't going to make any more than that. Now, there was a time in my life where thirty five. K sounded pretty good. Then I got a wife and two kids, and I realized that's a little bit of a stretch. So Francis Chan has a wife and a couple kids, and his mom lives with him in a trailer. Even though he pastored, he pastored at the time a church of 5,000 in Southern California and had written a couple books. He limited his income to 35,000 and lived in a trailer with his family. I've lived in some trailers. I'm not going back. I'd rather get locked up. You know, people approach leadership differently. And some people are more comfortable with others living with the perks of being the leader. And my main idea that I want to convey to you today is that Leaders in the kingdom of God have to live within their means. They can't live high above, or even really, in my opinion, at all above, the the normal lifestyle of the people that they're leading. I'm not just talking about in a church. If you're a leader in the marketplace, if you're a leader in your neighborhood, and you use that position of influence and that position of authority to store up wealth and live luxuriously, that's not leadership in the kingdom. That's not kingdom leadership. That's 
plain old run-of-the-mill human fleshly leadership. So Nehemiah, first off, in uh, I think it's in verse 5, he points out that the generation of adults that's present, his generation, is in so much debt that they are selling their children into slavery. And one generation's debt will lead to the next generation's slavery. And it would be wise, I think, if you have a ton of debt, to make sure that that does not hinder your children. It's one thing if you live with the consequences of it, but for your kids to have to live with the consequences of it, it's not too late for anyone to, to turn that around. But that's one of the issues Nehemiah comes across. And he points out that in verse 7, that the leaders that they had at the time, the nobles that they had at the time, were taking advantage of those who were in need under their care. So there were some people that were in need, didn't have enough to put food on their tables. And these leaders saw that as an opportunity to make a profit instead of an opportunity to help out. So they decided, oh, you need, you need a little bread? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some grain, but you got to pay me back double what I gave you. Oh, you need, you need this? Well, I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to charge just excessive interest. You need a little bit of this, you need a little bit of that. And, and those who had resources took advantage of those who didn't have resources and jacked up the interest. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's made pretty clear that if someone has a need and you're going to loan them, especially if it's a Christian to a Christian, you're going to loan them something you don't loan with interest. In fact, it might be better off to just consider giving it to them. Uh... I haven't lost very many friends over making a loan. There was a guy that I used to live near who needed like $200. And I don't know why, but I gave it to him. I never gave him a hard time about it, but he was so embarrassed. It took him four years to pay me back. So he never came around because he knew he owed me that. I never brought it up. I, never, I pretty much figured it was gone anyway after six weeks. But because of that, he wouldn't come around again. I don't think I've ever lost a friend over money, but I've had some people walk on the other side of the street because of money. And so uh, Nehemiah essentially opposes the nobles. He said, you can't be taking advantage of people's need. It would be better to gift it to them, but certainly don't be charging interest and crippling them and sending them even further into a bad situation. So when ne- So Nehemiah pretty much gives the, those governors kind of a verbal smackdown, and he says, you better stop that right now. Give them back what you've taken from them. Then he brings a priest in the room and makes them take an oath. That'd be like if he put a Bible out and made them swear on it. And then after he takes the oath, he still shakes out his garment, and he says, if any of you don't live up to this promise, I hope that God shakes you out like this. I mean, like, he, he, he wants more than their signature on the dotted line. Like, he's he's intimidating them and he's really demonstrated to them how serious of a situation this is and it seems like the people took Nehemiah's leadership into consideration and and followed and and made good on their promise now I want to look if you can put that uh, next to last slide up for me Nate I want to look at exactly how Nehemiah lived because I think Nehemiah serves an example of how a, a kingdom leader will live within their means all right um 
Yeah. So, at Nehemiah's table, there's 150 people besides visitors. So this is a, there's a lot of people eating under his household right now. And that was, which was prepared each day was just an ox and six sheep to feed 150 or more people. And a couple birds says in verse 18, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on the people. So because he knew the people that were following his leadership were sacrificing, he decided he was going to make a sacrifice. I think I said this about two weeks ago, that you can't ask people to make, if you're a leader, you cannot ask people to make a sacrifice you're not willing to make. If your view of leadership is to get a bunch of people to help you live in comfort, that's not godly leadership. Now here's the crazy thing, some people will still follow you. (laughs) I don't know why people do that. Some people will bend over backwards, sacrifice, and follow someone who seemingly has no concern for them. I don't know why it happens, but it apparently does. Back up one more slide for me, Nate. So, uh, in verse 14, neither Nehemiah nor his family have eaten the governor's food allowance. The former governors who were before them laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, plus 40 shekels of silver. Even the governor's servants domineered the people, but Nehemiah did not do so because of the fear of God. So a godly leader lives within their means because they fear God, not because they fear the people. Okay, Nehemiah's not living humbly within his means because he fears an uprising. He's doing it because he fears God, because he knows that ultimately God is the one who puts leaders in place in any realm of society. God is the one that promotes and puts people there. And it's because he fears God, not because he fears the people that he decides to live this way. That's important because if a leader functions out of fear of the people, he'll flip and flop and flip and flop and essentially become like a modern-day politician that changes their stance and view on things based on who he's talking to at the moment. Because he feared God, he was steady and stable. And you know what? There could have been a day where the people said, hey, we're good now, Nehemiah, go ahead and live it up. I think Nehemiah would have said, no, I still fear God the same way I did a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. And he lived like this for 12 years. It also says in verse 16 that he applied himself to the work on his wall. So uh, I've never worked, I can't say I've ever worked formally on like a construction site or anything. I've worked on farms. When those kind of like gritty blue collar jobs blow up, The guy that used to do all the hard grunt work somehow finds his way into an air-conditioned office. Somehow. Um, You know, the guy that that used to own the construction company hires some people, and somehow, someway, he's got a nice, cool office to sit in because he's got paperwork to fill out. And other people got to go out and sweat all day. Um, When I was in college, I spent my summer vacations back in northwestern Pennsylvania, working on a farm. And uh, one summer, I kid you not, this was my job. Now, as an introvert, I loved it. 
One summer, my job was to walk through a giant field and spray one plant with a, with a pesticide in every row and tie a little ribbon around it to see if that pesticide worked. Then I'd go to the next row and spray a little ri- pesticide, tie a ribbon around it. And then I came back the next week to see, did the pesticide kill the bugs or the plant or both? And then I had to write it down and take it back. Now, I spent about eight hours a day by myself in a cornfield. If I'd have died, no one would have known. I thought about running away sometimes. This is my chance. My PO will never find me. Um, but you know, you know what kept me honest, and you know what helped me get through the day, is every now and then the guy who owned the farm, old, old guy, and it's, I mean, 70s, that's old to me, I guess. That's, is that old to everybody? Okay. Old to me. I was like 20 at the time, so. He would come and walk with me in the field and help. And this guy, he had owned, he had farms all over the county. He could have been everywhere. But every now and then, he would just show up and walk through and tell me the Latin name of every plant that I was spraying. That's Sanguisorba canadensis. I don't even know what that is. And, uh, and just kind of, I mean, I had no interest in what the Latin names of these things were. But he spent time with me. And he put in work with me, and he sweated with me, and because of that, I did not cut corners. I didn't cheat. I didn't lie, and I didn't steal, because he worked alongside of me at times. So when Nehemiah says he applied himself to the work on the wall, that's what I think of it. Nehemiah didn't just stand there and say, yeah, yeah, fix that, fix that, fix that. I'm going to go get lunch or get coffee. I think Nehemiah got his hands dirty. I think Nehemiah probably banged his fingers a little bit putting these stones on the wall. I think Nehemiah knew how to to help put this wall together. He probably didn't know when he got there, but he found out. And he worked alongside the people as he applied himself to the work on the wall. So here's what I'm learning about Nehemiah as a godly leader. Number one, he he works with uh, the folks that, that are under his leadership but he lives within his means. And, and that's the part that I want to apply to the biblical finance aspect of this. So many of you are called to leadership that you got to know this. you got to grasp this. I mean, so many of you are called to lead in a variety of areas. I mean, something's talking to me. My phone is on. I somehow called my wife. Sorry, I don't know how that worked. Nehemiah, so many of you are called to leadership in in so many different areas. You know, I go to Chick-fil-A a lot, and I see Michelle working in the back. When she comes out of the back of Chick-fil-A, she is sweaty. Not in a bad way, but like she's been working hard way. I mean, Michelle, God put Michelle at Chick-fil-A as a leader. So, you know, don't, don't be getting supersized fries when everybody else can only afford a medium and rubbing it in their faces. They don't call it supersized at Chick-fil-A, right? Large. You know, I know that Shay is a leader. You're a manager where you work, right? you got people that work for you. So this is important to keep in mind. 
I mean, so many, Glenn, I mean, I know you're climbing the ladder, right? I mean, like, it seems like you got some stuff going on for you. You working at SEPTA? Right. Glenn's like the boss, Glenn SEPTA Miller, they call him. I mean, this is important for, for you know, anyone here that's a leader, Jason Davis, sorry, I meant Bermudez. You guys look exactly the same to me. <laughs> Jason Bermudez is going to be the mayor of Philadelphia at some point. I mean, Jason spends time in City Hall, and he's working his way through this, the city system. Dan, you work for the city too, right? You guys work kind of on the opposite end of the same thing, I think. I mean, the way... I mean, Jay... I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but Jay's a PO, so he's got people that, CO, sorry, CO, I knew that. There, I just, I just blew my spot up. I've never really been in jail. He's a CO, <laughs> and um, you got people that are involuntarily under your command, right? Right. So this, is, this leadership principle applies to everybody that's in leadership. Don't lord it over people. You know, live on their level. You know, I used to work for uh, I used to work for another pastor when I was an assistant pastor. He made a lot more money than I did, like twice what I made. And uh, every now and then I would resent it, but you know, every time we went out to eat, he paid for it. He always took care of me. If, if we would have a lunch or something or had to go somewhere, he always, he always covered it. I'm not saying that you all need to cover all your employees' lunches every time you go out or anything like that. But, you know, he found ways to take care of the people that worked under him and for him. If you're a leader at home, you know, in your, in your household, if you're a leader... Use this principle as you, as you lead your family. Don't make life hell for your, for your kids and your spouse that are under your leadership. Live a little more simply so that you can bless them and lead them. This might mean, you know, some of you, some of you you're leaders, so some of you are going to be in situations someday where you got the money to buy something nice, and you decide not to because you don't want to discourage the people that work under you. In 2009, my wife and I bought what was to us a new car. I used to drive a Toyota Echo. Does anyone know what a Toyota Echo is? Okay, you're laughing. All right, it looked like a pregnant roller skate. It was a tiny little, it looked like... Everyone said, whoa, you're cutting edge. You've got a hybrid. And I was like, well, it's not a hybrid. It's just a really small car. It's two doors. When I got out of it, the thing lifted up eight inches. I mean, it was just, I was, I mean, I bought it when I was single. I was trying to save money. It was just me. It looked like a, it just was hilarious when I got out of that car. But here's the thing. My wife and I got trapped in a snowstorm once because that car couldn't go up a hill in snow. We almost had to sleep in the car in a snowstorm once. So we, anyway, in 2009, we bought an SUV. We bought a, we bought a 2003 Toyota Highlander. Of course, we bought it in 2009. So what's that mean? It was six years old. It's, it was used. But to me, 
It was the nicest car I had ever owned. Going from a riding in a in a in a Echo, which was like riding on a skateboard, to riding in the SUV, I felt like I was driving like a semi truck up above everybody. I was looking down at them in their little cars. <laughs> my Echo didn't even have a tape player. Now my SUV's got a tape and CD player and a sunroof. I know, we live large. When I came home, you know, at that time we'd only lived in the, in the area for about a year. When we came home from the car dealership, man, I was terrified that the neighbors were going to see the pastor in his nice big SUV. Because to me, that thing was like prime. That's, mind you, a six-year-old used car. To me, that was like, I was like, I hope the, na- the neighbors don't hate on us. <laughs> Well, no one ever said anything. Because <laughs> they all, I started noticing, yeah, they all drive nicer cars than us. But you know, that, that, I don't know if you'd say that was a fear or an apprehension or whatever it was. It existed because of this principle. Because I don't want to be one of those leaders that makes other people sacrifice so that I can live comfortably. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you can't have things. I'm not saying you can't have cars. I'm not saying you can't have a comfortable home. But I'm saying... If you're burdening other people so that you can live more comfortably than they live, you're not leading like a leader in the kingdom. A leader in the kingdom will live uncomfortably in order to make other people more comfortable. You understand that? So that that is a, a biblical finance principle. There might be times where you could afford something, but you choose not to afford it, you choose not to purchase it, and instead you use those resources to make someone else's life better. Uh, Nehemiah had every right to live this way, to live luxuriously, to live lavishly, and instead he chose not to. Uh, He took the resources that were made available to him and he shared them with other people. And you know, I don't think think Nehemiah lived in a, a shack or anything. He just chose not to live in a mansion. He just lived in a regular old place, like everyone else has to. I want to share one more passage with you that's from the New Testament from 1 Peter. It's on the last slide. Thank you. So this is Peter writing, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. Now this passage is directed toward elders, but I think for our purposes today you could put the word leader in. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those who allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jamie, if you wouldn't mind going and getting uh, the children's church group, uh, tell them they got about five minutes. So this is from, this, Peter writes this. He's directing it, and this is in the New Testament, to the elders, fellow elders, he says. But I think for our purposes today, we can just say leaders in general. If you have any aspiration to lead in any area, this applies to you. He reminds them that... Uh, he, 
Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Jesus' leadership was to leave a place of comfort to come to earth and suffer. That's how he demonstrated leadership. He left a high place and came to a low place. Uh, and he, asks, he, he commands them to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, which is a nice way of saying don't do it because you have to do it. Do it voluntarily. Do it because you want to do it. Choose to do it. Don't do it out of some sense of forced obligation, but lead uh, voluntarily. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't like obligation, but I do like duty. I don't have any problem if someone feels that they do something out of a duty. You know, you're laughing, Ruby. Come on. Duty. All right, D-U-T-Y, duty. I have no problem doing something out of duty. I have a duty to my family, to my kids. But, you know, obligation is something that, that to me implies you're doing it against your will because you have to. Duty, to me, implies you're doing it because you have a responsibility and you're rising to the occasion. He says to, oversight, to provide oversight voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain. So you're doing it because you aspire to it. You're not doing it sordid gain. I think you're not doing it to get rich. You're not doing it to get paid. And other passages in the New Testament make it clear that it's appropriate to allot resources toward elders who do their job well. Uh, I want to let you know that I would do my job for free if I had to. I would probably do less of it because I'd have to go work somewhere. Uh, but I would do it for free if I needed to. I ain't doing it to get rich. I know that much. Um, and he says in verse 3, well, actually in verse 2, he says, do it with eagerness. If you're a leader, be eager to lead. Not eager to walk all over people, because leadership in the kingdom is really service. Eager to serve. Luis mentioned this quote a couple weeks ago in a sermon. He said, emotionally unhealthy leaders get angry when people treat them like the servants that they claim to be. I still can't forget that one. You know, if, we, if we believe in servant leadership, you can't get mad when someone asks you to serve them. Because we signed up for that by following Jesus. Number uh, Verse 3, do not lord it over those allotted to your charge, but prove to be examples to the flock. Lording it over people is to kind of like oppress people with your leadership and to kind of beat them down and it's to kind of like like beat their soul down to where they just kind of roll over and give up and they give in and you get your way because you just beat them down and beat them down and beat them down you intimidate them uh you you tear them down until you get what you want that is not biblical leadership biblical leadership lifts people up it elevates them it encourages them and it edifies them Completely different than the way leadership is uh, modeled in the world. And verse 4. Verse 4 tells us when the reward of good leadership comes. Okay? The reward of leadership, good leadership, doesn't come every other week on payday. Not to say that that's not the consequences of good leadership or the result of good leadership. But the reward of good leadership comes when the chief shepherd appears. At that point, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. 
I think if you take that kind of long-term perspective to leadership, you'll understand that uh, if you lead to get a paycheck or if you lead to get a nice place to live or a bigger TV or a nicer car, if you lead for something temporary, you will lead completely differently than someone who leads to get an unfading crown of glory. Right? I mean, one's leading for the temporary, the temporal, and the material. The other's leading for something that's eternal, unfading crown of glory. It doesn't start glorious and then fade off over time. That's an unfading crown of glory. So I just want, I want to encourage you because I, I think that this is, we're a church of leaders in, in a variety of different parts of society, in our homes, jobs, neighborhoods, uh, church, other places. And this is the kind of leadership that I want us to demonstrate, the kind that Nehemiah demonstrated when he did not lead to live nice. And and be wary of people who want to climb up into leadership because it means more comfort for them. Don't follow those people. Uh, Follow the ones that are down in the trenches, get get dirty and gritty and nasty. Uh, Those are the ones that will really back you up and, and, and cover you when times get tough. They're the ones that you can trust. They're the ones that aren't going to bail when it gets hard because they're already there when it got hard. So I want to challenge you guys to that. Uh, let me pray for you real quick, and then we got the, the kids are going to come in, and we got this Father's Day thing we're going to do if they're ready for it. Kendra, do you mind going and make sure they're ready? Lord, we love you, and Jesus, we look to you as our, our example of leadership that you left comfort in order to lead us and love us, that you made sacrifices on our behalf. And I pray that we would, we would lead like you. And we look to Nehemiah's example as one who chose to live simply, not in luxury, that he chose to live within his means, that he gave up things that he had a right to and gave up privileges that he could have taken. Would you make us leaders that sacrifice, Lord? Would you make us leaders that are willing to live in a little bit less comfort for the sake of our community, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our families, God? We bless you, Lord. We love your leadership, and we want to learn from it and demonstrate it. I pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, really quickly.